Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined by my friend and colleague, Mike Wood. Mike, very much looking forward to this conversation. Uh, this is uh, one of the great leaders in our industry. I'm looking forward to learning from him. We're joined this afternoon by Paul Botts. He's the CEO and founder of Good Leadership. Paul, my friend, welcome to the show. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you. This is an extraordinary experience. Here we are sitting in the basically the basement of the Grand Opryland Hotel in this fishbowl. It's <laughs> yeah. spectacular. Well, we fought for this fishbowl. Yeah. We were at the top of an escalator in a card table a couple of years ago, and now this is us making it big. Yeah, well, for our listening <laughs> audience, we've got about a 10-foot wide by 16-foot long cube here that's got glass all the way around it, and we're looking at it roughly a thousand people. It almost gives us the illusion that someone's listening. <laughs> well, this is great because this is your first work human, right? Yes, it is. So what do you think about the whole event? You know, it's extraordinary the caliber of people that Eric and the team have been able to gather as speakers. I participate in a lot of conferences and it is amazing. People here are happy. They're smiling. They're energetic. And the main stage speakers have been extraordinary one right after another. And that doesn't happen at all conferences. We virtually have not seen anyone stand up and leave mid-meeting for any presenter. And so, you know what? That's a success. Great. So I want to get into some of your expertise Mm -hmm. about goodness and your book, How Goodness Pays. What are the seven Fs? Yeah, great. Before we do that, what's really cool about this conference is that everyone's having the same basic conversation. And some of us who run coaching and consulting firms have different words we bring into this conversation. My word is goodness. It's an ancient word. It has lots of implications. But through the research that we've done, the definition that seems to work and pull people together is creating an environment where people thrive together in a culture of encouragement, accountability, and positive teamwork. So those concepts, encouragement, accountability, positive teamwork, they're very much alive here at the conference and in every single speaker that we've heard. We all just have our little different angle. So when we talk about goodness, I think it's a leader's job to find that and make it grow in every single person that's a part of their enterprise. And one of the ways we do that is with this concept that we call the seven Fs. I actually invented this concept after founding an organization, a small group of five people. We called it a personal accountability group. We were all in our mid-30s. We all had big jobs. And truthfully, when we had one-on-one conversations, we were scared. None of us had ever had this much responsibility. And so we made a pact that we were going to help each other succeed both personally and professionally. And through a series of conversations with my friend, Tim Schmidt, we came up with this lens of seven Fs, seven words, all starting with F, faith, family, finances, fitness, friends, fun, and future. Organized alphabetically because any other way would be political. (laughs) And so that has faith at the beginning, future at the end, and fitness in the middle. Little did I know 20 years ago when we created that, that fitness in my 50s would mean something totally different than fitness in my 30s. (laughs) But what we've learned how to do was to use this as an icebreaker, as a discussion starter, as sort of the center of the, as the maypole in any situation to make sure that we were in tune with what each of us needed. And so that when I went out and started my own firm doing executive coaching and transformational work with executive teams, we learned that starting every conversation with the seven Fs got us grounded 
and into this mindset that I was going to help you thrive both personally and professionally. And our belief system is that we can grow on any one of these seven F's as much or more at work than we would at home. And that's a fundamental concept. That basic idea is alive pretty much in every single speaker here at Working. And yesterday I heard somebody say, we want our employees to bring their problems to work. If they don't think they can find somebody that's willing to listen with a compassionate ear at work, where the heck could they have that? And so that's exactly what our philosophy is here. It's refreshing to be here. And when you organize the seven Fs into a wheel, it becomes a really interesting conversation because the wheel is the symbol of momentum in physics. And we all know that all of humanity changed when they put wheels on carts and you could actually mm -hmm. move things. So when you score yourself with the high numbers, tens on the outside, one in the middle, if you score yourself with high numbers and you connect the dots, your wheel is wide and expansive and it will roll. If you got a big chunk out of one side, it doesn't roll very well. And that's the metaphor we use talking about goodness and leadership as we ask, hey, will your 7S wheel roll? Might be a little bit bumpy, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll make it go. <laughs> well, you know what? If we had a coaching session here, we'd get a little exactly. personal. I'd say, hey, yeah, maybe I not want to put that out on and the air. And it's kind of funny that they're serving uh, hot chicken waffles right next to us here. So that's not all that good. That's good on the fun side, but not the fitness, <laughs> not right? Not the fitness, yeah. Yeah. I'm enthralled with this idea of faith. I mean, now there's a lot uh -huh. of ways to think about faith. And, yes. And I suspect most people out there, when they are thinking about their career and their workplace and how they fit into that, faith in all of its context is not something they really probably think about. So talk about why that's such a critical element. Not only do they not think about it, but they don't want to talk about it. Right. Right. <laughs> so many times the myths that surround goodness and the seven Fs is that anytime you bring in the faith conversation, it's too religious and doesn't belong in the workplace. The way we think about it is that we're not asking you who you worship, do you worship, why or why not? That's really not the conversation. When we're talking about goodness in leadership, we need to really acknowledge and honor the work that the Egyptians and the Chinese did 4,000 years ago. And they figured out that the most productive people in society had a connection between mind, body, and spirit. And spirit is just another word to say faith. And I know as an executive coach, you know, I've coached well over 250 C-suite executives and CEOs. And when things get difficult, things are happening in their organization where they've got to do things they know are going to be hard on people. We always go to a faith conversation. It happens. It's a rare human being that's not willing to acknowledge that. So we just figure if we can help you have a faith conversation when things are going well, is it possible that you can be more magnetic and things can actually go better? And Almost every time when we develop a sensibility, sort of an open heart to have a faith conversation, not preachy, that's different, but a real bona fide faith conversation, it's amazing how people can come together, learn from each other and begin that thriving process. That's how we think about faith. I think that's uh, fantastic. And often that's the last thing people will grab towards mm -hmm. that as a lifesaver if everything's crumbling mm -hmm. around them. And I, I just find that interesting that... Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be faith in any one particular God or what. It's mm -mm. just faith in general, right? And we've had some element, though, of have faith in your leadership, have yes. faith in your ability yeah. to contribute yeah. and do good things in the organization. That's, yeah. that's kind of part of it, too. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's in some ways, it's a spectator sport because if the employee population sees leaders who don't seem to have any grounding in faith or don't lead in a way that would stand up against any sort of faith set of morals. We heard that word yesterday a lot in the main stage. Two speakers talked about moral obligations to make decisions that were good for the whole. Well, that's faith. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if the leaders are not willing to be faith worthy or faithful, then why should anybody expect that the organization would do the right thing in terms of a crisis or in terms of when things get really difficult? I think it's fundamental. Once again, it's not about being preachy or converting people. It's willing to lead with an open heart. And that includes a faith conversation in my lens, the way I think about it. This idea of goodness. Mm-hmm. I imagine you've run across a, an executive team or a management team here and there who, when you say, you got to think about goodness, they're like, I got a product to manufacture. <laughs> I have profits. I got a board I got to satisfy. <laughs> I don't have time to think about something like goodness. Come on. How do you overcome that kind of a mental role? Well, it, this is here where I introduce my co-author. My co-author is Paul Hillen, and he was a world-class marketing executive at Procter & Gamble who got recruited away to be the first chief marketing officer of the agribusiness giant Cargill. And P&G is famous for their results-oriented culture, and Cargill manages relationships all the way across the globe. <laughs> and so they've got this very social, political kind of way that they uh, behave. And so when I first met Paul Hillen, I was called in to be his executive coach. It was a Cargill leadership program. I got paired with him and boy, right away, I recognized he was one of those results only guys. I referred to his leadership style in those days as a bag of hammers. <laughs> so when I was trying to convince him that goodness would actually help him get better business results. He just said, you know, I have no time for this. You got to get some data and prove it to me. And so years later, he ended up being the person that helped me write and kind of get through that barrier. Now, when you sit through these meetings here at Work Human, you, every single speaker has loads of data to talk about why involving people, treating them with respect, encouraging, recognizing people gets better business results. But my particular word, goodness, because it has all these attachments with religion and being too nice and being too soft, we really had to do the hard work. So the first thing that we did was to actually ask people what kind of culture that they wanted to work in. And what turns out is that four out of five leaders when describing that type of culture described the goodness culture. So we literally did the research to prove that four out of five leaders when asked unprompted, do you believe goodness pays, will say yes. Usually it's that one loud voice who doesn't believe it that overpowers other people. But what we try to do is to get the team to lead with an open heart and say, okay, if all of our employees were thriving, would our business results be better? And every single time they say, yes. Then we ask, do we know what it means for them to thrive? The seven F's wheel helps. If you know where your people are trying to get better on the seven Fs, then that has an idea to help them understand what does thrive look like. But if we create that culture where we're all thriving together, once again, that's the definition. It's not about religion. It doesn't take very long for a team to say, you know what, we're willing to transform because where we're doing it right now is too difficult. I believe you can be happier personally and professionally if you have a culture of goodness. And most people want that. There are some that don't like it, and we don't try to convert them. We just walk away and go right. to the next group. Right. <laughs> now, you've done a lot of research on how teams come together in a time of crisis. Mm-hmm. Can you give us some insight? Yeah. Crisis is fascinating. There's two ways to think about crisis. When you're in one or when you're seeing somebody else go through one or you're doing something because of someone else's crisis. And this brings to mind how we think about superhero leadership. So when you talk about goodness, people often say, well, a lot of people, radio interviewers will Mm -hmm. try to trick me into say, saying that I believe the opposite of goodness is greed and evil. I actually don't think that. 
I think that there is goodness in everyone and that there are situations that bring out good and evil. But from a leadership standpoint, I think that superhero leadership and short-term thinking are the opposite of goodness. So what happens in a crisis? Often we look for a superhero to rescue us. So superhero leadership is glorified in things like the movies and the media. I mean, we could probably all think of five names right now. People are in the media on a regular basis that have this superhero complex. The problem is today we're creating this culture where people expect to be involved and included. And so no one wants to be rescued. (laughs) That's the only time a superhero leader works. And so we find that teams come together in a crisis when we decide, you know, how can we go through this together and come out on the other end as better people? How can we use this moment right now to develop us into the people that we want to be when we grow up? I have one specific story about this. We were working on a global technology implementation. One of the biggest SAP things that was ever encountered, they came in because they knew they needed consistent leadership. They hired us to make sure that 73 leaders and about 23 different countries all did things relatively the same way. Right in the middle of the project, they sold half the company. And so they had to not only implement it, but they had to implement it twice and now split it apart and make it function in two different places. So the net net is that this group of leaders basically worked around the clock. They took no Saturdays, no Sundays, no holidays for 11 weeks. And about 50% of them were going to work themselves out of a job. They just didn't know which 50% was not going to have a job at the end of this project. So when the first time we came together after this, they were at each other's throats. There was screaming and yelling, and it was, I wouldn't have been surprised if there would have been fists thrown. The next morning we got up and agreed that that's not how we wanted to behave. And I said, what would it take for you guys all to bring out the best in each other? And they said, you know, this idea of thrive together, I think we're all afraid of our futures. But if we commit, every one of us in this room is going to help everyone in this room get the job they want coming out of this, whether it's with a consulting firm or a competitor or in one of these companies, if we got each other's backs, if we're willing to own that thrive together thing, you know what, we're willing to do this. And it was remarkable, the change in the culture. During that, one of the top leaders had a heart attack. He had, in his family, he has this congestive heart failure and he hadn't really been in in a while. He literally had a triple bypass surgery during this whole thing. And he was one of the top spiritual leaders in this organization and everybody just rallied around. So within a crisis, we had a crisis and it's just extraordinary. If you have people who actually care about each other, both personally and professionally, they will rise and create teamwork that's unprecedented because of a crisis. And so in some situations, I think it's easier in a crisis than it is when people are happy and in decline. (laughs) That's way worse. Mm -hmm. So there's an organization that that has bought into and lives in a goodness culture. Mm -hmm. Then there's an organization that's not doing Mm -hmm. it that way. Mm -hmm. So speak now to an employee of the latter. So Mm -hmm. someone who's working in an organization that has not bought into that, what can he or she do? Can they be a goodness individual? And is there steps they can take to begin to then infuse this and grow it within their organization or certainly at least their team? Yeah, this is by far the most commonly asked question. So thank you for doing that. One of the things we discovered early on that we proved with our research is there are four fundamental values. We call them the cornerstones by which you build a goodness culture. The first one is excellence and rewarding excellence. So we've heard a lot about that here at Work Human. The second one is generosity and it's living generously. The third one is fairness, and we talk about promoting fairness. 
And then the final one, which you hear all over this place is spreading positivity. So the fairness is the one that we're talking about here. And I believe that even if you live in an organization where you look upward and you don't see or feel goodness, you have the obligation to decide that fairness is going to come through you, even if it doesn't come to you. And the metaphor here is one of our CEOs, Greg Page, who um, he was one of the people that helped get the research going for us. Uh, He was the CEO of Cargill at the time. He used to say that he thought the most important job leaders do is to be the pancreas (laughs) for their organization. The pancreas is, you know, filters out all the really bad toxins before (laughs) the liver gets it. And he's like, listen, when you sign up to be a leader in an organization like this, you're signing up to be the pancreas. So no matter what comes in, you got to make sure that excellence, generosity, fairness, and positivity comes out of you. And that anybody in the organization, if you believe goodness is going to pay, you have to accept the responsibility that might just start with you. And that is a powerful concept. It's very empowering. And sometimes people decide, you know what? I can't take it anymore. I'm going to go radiate goodness somewhere else. But most of the time, it's amazing how that accountability really starts to spread. That's how I think about that. Those four cornerstones. I mean, that's, look, we're all about promoting healthy organizations here. That's That's the whole goal of this movement. But honoring those as an individual is how you can survive in a tough environment. That's That's exactly right. That's part of how you can still get up at Monday morning and still be excited about going to work because you can practice those four cornerstones, yeah? Yes, exactly right. And let's go back to the situation where the guy had the heart attack. In that particular meeting, there were 73 people. In order to get them going in the right direction, we did this two-minute coaching exercise that went on for an hour. So they would 30 matches in an hour. And they all they did was walk around and look each other in the eye and say, you know what, here's what I appreciate about your leadership and what I want more of from you. So it was an appreciative exercise based on actually sharing our observations about what made everybody thrive in the room. And it completely changed their culture. So anybody can take it upon themselves to radiate goodness and to make sure that we bring out the goodness in other people. And especially when your boss above you maybe doesn't do the same thing. All right. Uh, we're running low on time. Before I let you go, uh, one last question. Uh, how do you define working human? Well, I'll go back to our definition. I think you've created a culture where people thrive together. I think that employees need to believe that when the organization does well, they're going to benefit as much or more than the people who run it and own it. It's fundamental. It's so common sense. It's ridiculous. But there are all sorts of things that get in the way. But when you spend any time having a conversation about what does it take for you and me to thrive in this situation, that's the basis of respect, dignity, appreciation, all the things that we just crave. And I think particularly today, we're surrounded by so much dark noise. We're losing trust in government, big business, organized religion, the media. It's everywhere. How many natural disasters have we seen on TV lately, right? So if you can't come to work and find a moral, ethical strength and positivity there, where are you going to get it? That's what working human means to me. Outstanding. Paul, before we let you go, should anyone need to connect with you, how do they find you? Oh, easy. Paul at goodleadership.com. That's pretty easy. Yeah. It's pretty pretty simple. (laughs) Paul Botts, the CEO and founder of Good Leadership. Paul, great to have you on the show. Thanks again for stopping by. Thank you very much. Yeah. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at Work Human Live in 2020, May 11th through the 14th in San Antonio. 
Visit workhuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2020. 